Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion of the Men of Peace process and talk a little bit about taking responsibility. But before we jump into that conversation, I'd like to remind you of Men of Peace. Men of Peace is our online uh, digital course for men who identify or want help in the area of being abusive or destructive. And it's uh, all of the content that we've put together over the years working with abusive men. And you can find out more about the Men of Peace course at menofpeace.org. Uh, This is a great resource for, again, men, but also for uh, teams, pastors, ministry leaders, biblical counselors that are looking for resources to uh, help men who identify or understand that they're abusive and or destructive. So today, we're going to continue talking about the Men of Peace process and what we call the W. If you recall from our previous episode, the W is just our path, uh, what some might call a success path that we try to walk through with men to help them identify, understand, respond to uh, the abusive choices and mindset uh, that they may have. And last week we talked about the importance of information, gathering that data, helping an individual understand uh, abuse in particular, and then their place in abuse. That's really essential before you can move on to uh, the second point, the, the first pivot point in the W as the pin stroke heads down from the, the top of the W to that first uh, line that, that makes a pivot. We call that ownership or taking responsibility. And that's a, an imperative uh, for any progress that you're going to make in working with this population. So if you're listening in today and you're uh, a people helper, and perhaps you've been walking along with an abusive individual, maybe one thing that you have found is a real resistance to ownership, or perhaps you've heard a lot of stories. And I'm not opposed to stories. You'll actually hear me say when I'm doing training or I'm training people on this, early on in the process, I'm okay with some stories. It really helps uh, with gathering data. It helps in understanding uh, some of the circumstances and the environment and the situations. Uh, But overall, Uh, Stories can really begin to bog down our work as it invites us into collusion and it gives the individual the opportunity to mutualize, which is really a big part of uh, this particular step, is guarding against um, just a few really common tactics that will rear their head during this particular process. So we've gathered the data. So we've got all this information. We've got this list of actions, behaviors, choices. You know, I harmed my wife in the following ways. I called her names. I isolated her from family. I coerced her or I threatened her uh, using ultimatums or I literally threatened her using my uh, physical strength or I, you know, strangled her or punched her or restrained her or sexually coerced her. And so those lists become very uh, graphic and exhaustive in a lot of ways, although they're not. They're, they're definitely illustrative because you'll never get all the information, but 
they are fairly exhaustive in that you've gathered up a large amount of data. You've also pushed that through the idea of impact. And so when I did this, it affected my wife in the following ways. When I did this, it affected my kids in the following ways. And you've also got motivations behind that, right? So when I did this, what I wanted was, you know, what I desired was, and those are all part of the information stage. And so when you get to the point of ownership, one of the the key pieces of resistance or reluctance that you'll still experience is uh, the idea of mutualizing, minimizing, denying, or blaming. And we want to guard against those uh, versus people helpers by rolling with that resistance and continuing to press until someone takes complete responsibility for their actions and choices. Or if you're an abusive individual listening today and you're trying to learn, uh, we want to really own that and guard against that. And so when we, when we hear ourselves mutualize, minimize, deny, or blame, we want to take a step back and reframe if we are um, receiving pushback from somebody who cares about us, we want to be open to feedback. And that's a huge um, red flag is if we are closed ourselves, closed to feedback, and it's like, no, you're just not understanding me. No, you're just not understanding me. Then perhaps we've got a deeper seated heart problem uh, than we really recognize. So, Uh, let's just go through those points of resistance real quick, just to kind of help the helpers and then help anyone who may be listening, who is struggling as well to, to find hope or to find a solution. The first I said, I think was mutualizing. Mutualizing is the concept at which I will acknowledge a litany of bad choices, but I will place them in the context of a relationship as if to say, I'm not fully responsible because she also does A, B, C, and D. And this is a very dangerous game to play. And what usually happens is when I'm really forcing the mutual hand, I'm saying, I understand what you're saying. I've acknowledged all of this stuff, but this isn't fair. It isn't right. And it isn't effective. What you're doing is only addressing me. And this is a marriage problem. So I keep coming back with the idea of, yes, I did bad things, but my wife also did bad things. And We need to own our things together. That's the only way this will work. And so my insistence on mutualizing actually will do a lot more harm to the process. But a willing heart, right, a repentant heart will begin to recognize the ways in which I've harmed my partner and commit to make uh, the necessary changes and choices to move forward. Second is what we call minimizing. Minimizing is to say, yes, I've acknowledged these things in the information stage. I've, I've worked the first part of the W, but Chris or, or helper, whoever is coming alongside me, it's really not that big a deal. Or you guys have blown this out of proportion. Or you're making it sound a lot worse than it really is. I recall one conversation I had with a fellow who was very frustrated, and I think, um, um, I don't even think I was addressing him personally, but was addressing a group and kind of out of the blue, he says, well, Chris, it sounds like you're saying I'm a bad guy or something. And I'm not a bad guy. And my only response was, you know, yet you've done bad things. I don't know. Like, I didn't say you were a bad guy. You're coming to that conclusion on your own because you're recognizing the things that you've done are bad. Right. And so even with that, we live in a culture that kind of wants to assuage our guilt. Guilt's a good thing in this work. It lets us know that we've done something wrong. So 
if if you or the person you're working with continues to minimize, that's a, a warning that we're not ready to take responsibility, that we want to diminish uh, responsibility. And so minimization is one to watch for as well as mutualization. Uh, a next, a third would be denial, is the outright denying and saying, yes, you, you've gathered this data, but that didn't really happen. I, I you know, didn't understand the question. That wasn't what happened. This is not what you say it is. And just the flat-out open deception um, that, that takes place in this work. And it does quite a bit, especially when someone is confronted with ownership. And the interesting thing is it is in some ways when you're working with a resistant uh, client or counselee, somebody who is participating in the process, but it's not quite open to change. They're really there. Um, once you get to know them, their, their primary purpose for being there is to jump through the hoops to kind of get the church off their back, to get to appease their wife and to get the relationship back the way they want it. And that does happen a good bit, right? And so there's a willingness to participate early, often in vague or fuzzy language that needs to be shored up. But when it comes to the point of taking responsibility, sometimes you will encounter the individual who just flat out denies, no, this isn't true, this isn't right. Um, and being able to press into that to the truth is an essential part of the work that we do. But if somebody continues to live in a state of denying, of fighting, of uh, wrestling with you over the content uh, of the discussion, then perhaps that's just an indication that they are more willful than willing and they're becoming more hostile to the process. So some of the negative responses are mutualizing rather than owning, minimizing rather than owning, denying rather than owning, and then blaming. Blaming uh, The blame game is a big part of these discussions where it's not my fault. Yes, that happened. However, uh, it only happened because my wife did A, B, C, or D. Or it only happened because I was using a, a certain substance at the time. Or it only happened because I have this particular um, mental health diagnosis. Or that only happened because I was struggling with such and such addiction at the time. Or that only happened because of my past trauma. Now, are those things that I mentioned, could they contribute uh, sure. Could they make things a little easier? Sure. I think when, when harm is done to a person, whether self-inflicted or inflicted by others, it does make sinning easy. Like I, I, do, I do think that we are broken, fragile people. Like I think those are the two, two aspects of humanity that we always need to keep in mind, right? That we are living with human depravity and human fragility, that all of us are just really hopeless when it comes to our own sin. And we're also really fragile uh, and easily broken. And so it is possible that the individual you're working with has experienced a tremendous amount of harm, either self-inflicted or inflicted by others. But there is no evidence that that is a pathological key to their use of abuse. Abuse remains a choice. For some, that choice is easier than others, but it is still a choice. And so any form of blame shifting that goes, you know, I would not be, we would not be having this discussion if I wasn't A, B, C, or D, um, is really not a discussion that, that we're going to have. Now, granted, let, let's back up for just a second. I have known paranoid schizophrenics, for instance, who have attacked caregivers. That, however, is not 
domestic violence. Usually that person, it's about proximity, um, physical proximity, not relational proximity. Abuse is a targeted individual. The people will target their intimate partner. So just make that clear that while violence can occur in certain conditions, um, uh, a diabetic who's having uh, an episode can, um, can have difficulty in thinking and cognition and can make some, some choices that are aggressive or individuals who are having other health aspects or um, uh, issues can, can become aggressive but understand we're not talking about aggressive responses. We're talking about deliberate acts of violence, historical patterns of abuse. And so I want to make that clear that there are, yes, some aspects of health that can produce aggression. But we're talking about this sustained pattern, this coercion, control, threat, fear. And there's just no connection. There's nothing to blame other than the choices that we made. And that's why we come back to taking responsibility. And so one of the important aspects of the work that we do is to take the mutualizing phrases, right? And take them right back to the key of the choices that you made. Take the minimizing phrases and add gravity and weight to the choices that they make. Take the denying phrases and add the clarity and the light of truth and take the blaming phrases and bring it right back to the need for accountability and responsibility. Because really, if you want to change, and this is with anything, if you want to experience change, you have to take responsibility for yourself. You can't blame someone else for your poor behavior and then um, hope that they change in order that you change. It's just not how it's going to work, especially in this area of domestic abuse. You made choices that harmed your partner. How will you own those choices. And that's what the, the first pivot point of the W is all about, taking all the information that we gathered, your behavior, your choices, uh, the impact of those choices, the motivations behind those choices, and then running them through the filter of, will you take responsibility? Will you validate what you're hearing? Will you be open to feedback, right? Will you embrace responsibility? And any hesitation or sustained resistance to that to say, you know what, no, I, I know that I strangled her, but I, I'm not responsible for that. And that does happen in this work. And, and any sustained uh, resistance like that um, needs to be met with uh, confrontation, with a reminder, with accountability, that we can't really move forward if you're not willing to own the things that you've done. I think one of the great stories um, narratives that that helped me with this is Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve, when Nathan confronts uh, David, and he confronts David and his um, his abuse of power in regards to Bathsheba, and then the ultimate uh, murder of Uriah, by telling this wonderful story that paints a picture, right, of David's sin in the form of a rich man and a poor man. And uh, he, he recognizes that there's no minimizing. You, you cannot, or mutualizing, first of all, you can't mutualize um, this atrocity, that the rich man took the poor man's ewe lamb, the, the one lamb that they had that Nathan even humanizes. He says he treats, him like a, treats the lamb like a daughter. The rich man takes that from the poor man, slaughters it, and feeds it to a friend. And you can't mutualize it. 
I mean, he just he paints a picture in which there's just nothing the ewe lamb could have done, nor the owner could have done. The rich man just took what he wanted. And then he goes on to um, contrast that with this idea of, of um, personhood and then eventually uh, with the declaration that you are a man. And so you can't mutualize it. You can't minimize it either. You can't say, well, it was just a ewe lamb because according to Nathan's story, it was everything. It was more than a pet. It was like a family member. And the rich man had cattle and sheep in abundance. He, he could have slaughtered any number of his own property, but instead he steals and, and takes the only thing that this poor man had. So you can't really minimize it, you know, by saying, well, it's just a, it's just a little lamb. Who cares? Well, that poor man cares. So David had nowhere to go with that. You can't deny it. The story is very clear to the point that David even becomes angry at the fictitious rich man, uh, demands justice. And then, um, you can't blame anyone else. I mean, there's really no one to blame. I guess the rich man could say, well, if my friend hadn't come in on a journey, well, no, I mean, your friend didn't make you steal your neighbor's lamb. Well, if that lamb hadn't looked so delicious, you've got plenty of sheep to eat yourself, to eat your own sheep, right? Or, you know, the poor man, he was he was so smug. He had the best, that little lamb was great, and that that poor man just flaunted that little lamb and let it eat at its table. It's not his fault. You you killed the lamb. Back to 2 Samuel 12, right? You are the man. You did it. You're the one uh, who set this in motion. You're the one who made these choices. And that's where the second point of the W, the pivot point, is so essential. Because we really, we really can't move on to the transformative piece uh, of the process, to the invitation into the gospel if a person's not responsible for their own sin. You know, if my sin is great, then my Savior will be great. Um, but if my sin is little, then then my Savior will be little. And I think if we make light of sin, if we don't wrestle it to the ground, if we don't see the exceedingly sinfulness of sin itself, then I don't know that we'll experience the transformation that the gospel has to offer. I think we'll be repenting of um, minuscule things. Uh, we'll be living in that minimization, denial, and blame, and mutuality rather than responsibility and accountability. And that's what we're looking for. So I think a, an ownership piece is essential. You know, confession that actually acknowledges the things that we've done and the way in which it's harmed other people. Uh, and then we'll be able to move on and see the richness of the gospel and the the greatness of the gospel as Christ has provided for us and positioned us and then given us practical responses to live that out. And we'll talk more about that uh, the next time we meet on the PeaceWorks podcast. I'm so thankful for you guys. If you want to learn more about Men of Peace, you can go to menofpeace.org, menofpeace.org. There's videos and uh, information and frequently asked questions just kind of help you understand what the course is all about. And I hope that this little brief uh, conversation about ownership has been helpful because it's so essential to making the changes that you need to make, that you can actually gather relevant, specific information you can wrestle that information to the ground. You can take responsibility for it, and you can take that uh, to the cross. You can come to uh, the realization that Jesus has a power and provision and hope uh, for all of those things that we've done and all those choices we've made and desires that we've had and disaster that we've caused. So again, I hope that was helpful. I can't wait to continue uh, this discussion with you guys next week. Thank you so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast 
you'd do us a favor on whatever platform you're listening, rate, review, subscribe, follow, let the platform know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. All right, gang, until next time, God bless.